This is Dr. Charles Parker, and you're listening to Core Brain Journal. It's the place where I connect both fresh discoveries and interesting different perspectives from advanced mind science with the realities of real people and everyday life down on Main Street. Well, welcome, folks. Dr. Charles Parker here one more time, and we're having a very interesting conversation today with a man on the edge who's going to teach us some stuff that most of us really don't know about. It's one of the things I have a great deal of pleasure in speaking to individuals like this. Uh, Bill Protzman is going to tell us about music and self-healing, and it's going to be very interesting. Welcome, Bill. Really appreciate you coming on board. Hey, thank you, Chuck. Glad to be here. What a pleasure. What a pleasure. So what we're going to do is we'll do this brief note from our sponsors on the front end, and then we're going to talk about Bill. And he's even got, guess, this, guess what he's got here, folks? He's got some samples for us. So we can have an idea of exactly what he's talking about right here in, uh, in the shop, right here, wherever we are. So first of all, I'm going to tell you that you listeners already know that we love the reality of data here at CBJ, and we welcome our new sponsor partner, Direct Health Access Laboratories, with over 3 million studies. They are deep leaders of experience with the big picture of measuring, for example, methylation, cryptopyrrole, and copper challenges. You heard Bill Walsh talk about that here. And they have a global service with a molecular focus. Stay tuned. We'll talk more about them in a minute. And you also know that we're really interested in how do we put programs together, programs that are really going to add an edge, just like we're talking to Bill about here today, add an edge to what is ordinary considered, ordinarily considered frequently inadequate. And one of the things that's going on with our adolescent and child populations, kids get hospitalized very quickly for out-of-control behavior for a week or two, throw some meds at them, talk to you later, got to go. And that is pretty much the standard of care. I know people try hard. I know people care about people. But over at the uh, nonprofit Barry Robinson Center here in Norfolk, they have a residential treatment care center that provides residential care on an evolved family, interpersonal, and global level. And they're TRICARE friendly. More about them in just a moment. So, Let's talk to Bill Protzman. He is a man on a mission. I always like a man on a mission. I like a woman on a mission for that one. <laughs> I think being passionate about what you do is a really important deal. Yes, sir. So he, he wants to raise the awareness of the power of music in self-care. And in addition to being a successful IT entrepreneur, Bill holds magna cum laude degrees in piano performance and creative writing and has concertized and performed for many years with a focus on bringing music to audiences in non-traditional ways. In 2011, he launched Music Care Incorporated, a for-profit corporation dedicated to teaching practical ways that music can be used for self-care. His work was ultimately recognized by the National Council for Behavioral Health with an award of excellence in 2014. It's the behavioral health equivalent of winning an Oscar. When he talks about music and self-care, he speaks with a gentle conviction from real personal experience. So, Bill, thanks again for coming on board. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing right now and what your your mission is. Oh, thank you, Chuck. I have the real honor of working with a lot of veterans who need care of some kind. And we all know about post-traumatic stress and traumatic brain injury. 
But a lot of the stuff that we all need, including veterans, goes a little deeper. I have not yet met someone who said, you know, on my own, I found this great modality and I was able to go out and learn how to meditate, for example. And it's just changed everything for me. In clinical care, we need to offer that stuff more because there's so much that you can do when you don't have, you know, after the five minutes with your doctor's over, there's so much you can do to care for yourself that is not really a part of our culture, I think is the best way of saying it. Yeah, yeah. You know, and, and if we can empower those, the ways that exist that support the medical and clinical practice of healing by an individual practice that works, and then dial people into all the options. There's maybe thousands of options available for people who want to go out and explore them. Uh, you can find these things. So I, I happen to work with veterans who are interested in music. Uh, helped to stand up the program Guitars for Vets out here in San Diego. And there are, I don't know, something like 100 chapters around the country now of veterans just playing the guitar for relief from post-traumatic stress. I'm a piano player. I don't know how to play the guitar, but that's something I want to be involved with, right? Because there's mm-hmm. something's happening there. There's change taking place there, and, and it's music-related. So I, I want to be involved with that. I teach a music class for homeless people who are transitioning from homelessness to housed, and uh, that experience of being in front of people who are at their most raw and vulnerable it's such a thrill because we get to be authentic there. There's no masks. When you're talking to somebody who's trying to get off the street, it's all about just the real person. And uh, I bring that up because one of those real people who actually is bipolar was the one who did the launch of Guitars for Vets here in San Diego. This guy living on the street with a cell phone launched a chapter of this amazing nationwide program. And you just have to wonder why aren't we dialing into that kind of energy, you know, and empowering people like to, to be able to do that sort of thing and have that kind of success. So that's, that's kind of what I'm all about here. Well, that's fantastic. It sounds very, very interesting. And it, it's quite interesting, Bill, you didn't, you may not know this about what we do. We've got a whole page devoted to vets with a number of individuals who, who are in the same path, but per, perhaps not quite in the, in the same self-care direction that you are. So that's very fantastic. We're going to put you on that page. Thank you. Thank you. There's so much we can do. I mean, most recently, music is, is, it's so incredible to me, Chuck, because they're using music now to study the brain. It's like music gives us a window that we don't have in any other way. And you know how this has gone. Most of the time when you're dealing with trauma or brain injury, you're sort of studying a corpse. And with music and the kinds of instruments that we can measure a response to music with now, we can look at a brain in real time and see how the influence of music of one kind or another plays in that brain. And it's, it's fascinating stuff. I think Dr. Lavatin has done a bunch of work on this, and uh, his books are amazing. I'm, I'm so in awe of the science that goes along with this these days. Do you have mentioned his name again? I'll put it in the show notes. Is it Levinson? Daniel Levitin, L-E-V-I-T-O-N. Okay. His book is This Is Your Brain on Music, <laughs> spinning oh. off that old commercial, right? Yeah, right. But there's great video. The work that's gone on around this is, is just beautiful. Uh, he's a neuroscientist, but he used to be a radio a record producer back in the day. That's fantastic. Well, how did you get on this path? I mean, I'm sure people are, this is interesting. Hey, it's, it's very, uh, it has some very encouraging uh, uh, aspects to what you're talking about. But how did you personally hit the wall, find out, discover? Uh, how, where, how did that light bulb come on for you? It's a real great question. Uh, I'm going to go a little deep on this, but as a piano player sitting there on the stage with nobody else except the big black instrument and you, 
one of the things that you must do is pay attention to what the audience is experiencing. If you don't do that, you're gonna leave them cold, right? You might be playing something that people like or something that they don't, but if you can start a connection with them that rides on that musical, the musical communication you're having, that's incredible. So very early on, um, I remember a piano teacher I had once crying after a piece I played at a recital, and that sort of woke me up. I was like nine. I didn't know how you could be happy and sad and have tears coming down your face and a smile. And how does that work? So I've been investigating this for a long, long time. And uh, roll forward a few years, uh, music saved my life. If it wasn't for music, I wouldn't be breathing right now. Mm. And I say that in all honesty knowing that it's my job as a musician to go very deeply into what the composer meant in the music and to make that meaning clear to the people who are listening to it. And on the night where I felt like it was the end for me, I took my own medicine and listened very deeply over and over to a piece of music that speaks to me and let that feeling of deep anguish and despair just kind of flow and into the music until it was done. It was gone. And I teach that now because it's such a powerful experience to go deeply into a feeling in safety under the headphones, you know, in a chair with your music and letting that feeling wash through you. It's there. I, I can't even describe the, uh, what it feels like when that's done. Well, you've piqued my curiosity, Bill. I'm going to have to dig into that, that depth with you just a little bit more. Please do. How, I'm sure you've considered this in a number of ways, but what I'm wondering about as a, you know, mental health professional. I've done this a long time. I'm, I'm really trying to think about myself in those shoes, in that chair with those headphones, and looking at what that music did for you and with you. It, it sounds in one respect that it took you out of yourself, but then it sounds like it took you more deeply into yourself, and then there was some kind of corrective experience. Could you talk about that a little bit? I can, and, and I'll do that in musical terms, too, because... There's something about a process here that I think is valuable. Uh, I've become a big advocate of feeling feelings fully. And thanks to a lot of therapy, I, I really know what that means. So if I feel sad, for example, there's something in that sadness that needs to speak to me. I don't know exactly what it is going in. I might have been triggered by some external thing that made me sad. But if I want to explore sadness... The science on music is that you can do that more quickly than almost anything else by putting on music that helps you feel that feeling. So I might feel a little sad, but I put on some music that's just completely depressing. It's going to take me there. And mm -hmm. I willingly allow that to, to trigger me in that way. Now, it's, it's not triggering to take me into a black hole. It's triggering to allow that to work within me perhaps in the part of the subconscious we don't yet understand, although I think there are a lot of meditators out there who would tell you that that's a really good thing to be doing, right, Bill? But to go into that with intent to just allow it to be a part of who I am for a little while. It usually doesn't take very long. And then there comes a point, and this is a really interesting thing, there comes a point in that process, Chuck, where you feel like it's done, like you've, you've cried enough. And at that moment, I like to flip it and play some music that is the opposite, something joyous, for example. If I'm dealing with grief, I'll flip it over and play something happy. And that just allows the, the, the I'm going to call them the positive feelings, to kind of bubble back up and put me back in a place where I feel safe again and feel comfortable and ready to move forward. And that whole well, process so can last moments or it can last minutes. It depends on how long you want to invest in it, you know. That is very interesting. You know what's occurring to me? 
is that you are embracing a part of yourself that you're on the one hand attempting to deal with, recognize, and perhaps think about too much, and actually sinking into actually feeling it, and then in some way it has a cathartic value because you, in that embrace, manage it better. It sounds like there's a certain level of management that occurs with that, with that embrace. I believe you're right. Uh, therapists have told me that, um, you know, depression is anger that we sort of turn inward. And uh, as I've discovered my role as a musician in terms of finding these feelings and conveying them authentically, I've discovered there's a whole rainbow of uh, possible, uh, what do I call it, like a spectrum just to grief, for example. You can be a little sad or a whole bunch sad, right? Mm -hmm. and, and being able to investigate all of those aspects of grief, it's, it's like a it's like going into a gold mine. Mm. And, and yeah, we don't like grief very much. We don't like anger very much. We don't like being afraid very much. But those are like core parts of who we as humans are. Mm -hmm. Our lizard brain, you know, reacts to those things and sparks up what happens to us physiologically before we even think about it. So playing with that part of you, of who you really are, fight, flight, freeze kind of thing, playing with mm -hmm. that, and being able to be with that. Yeah, I think that, I think you're right. I think that's about finding your depth at that level, that very basic level, you know, below thought. Well, in a way, it's kind of like practice because you have a management of something that may be unfamiliar and disconcerting in some way because you can't manage it and you don't know where to put it. You don't have a place for it. And yet you embrace it and get into it and live in that moment. And yet it doesn't... Uh, destroy you yes and then you have a certain ma uh, aspect of self-management that comes from that internal experience and you know we just did uh, an interview with a guy who was talking about the end of the cathartic experience and that's the cathartic experience from the outside where you're exp you're you're blowing your emotions all over everybody yeah and this is kind of an internal cathartic moment of self-management in a way as we i've said that before but i'm I'm trying to grasp on what's going on. Is that, that sounds right to you. It resonates for me. Um, I've watched veterans playing the guitar uh, do one of two things. Some of them will just go so deep and you can see it in their face. They're, they're in a different place with whatever they're playing. And you know they're in that place of, of deep self-awareness. And then others will just start spontaneously talking about their experiences that they wouldn't normally open up and talk about. And as a guitar instructor, right, sitting there across from a veteran playing the guitar. Your job is simply to be there and hold the space and let them talk. And if music was the catalyst for that, wonderful, fantastic. You know, um, they tell me that just about anything that you do that creates an authentic connection like this, you can get about a 10 to 18% success ratio out of your quote modality. And uh, I think that that authentic human connection is something that we're just hungering for and needed in a way that brings it home, whether that's through music or through fly fishing or through a one-to-one -one like we're having today. Well, you know, the other thing that occurs to me is, is how uh, valuable music from the past is for us as individuals that, that where it was meaningful around a certain time in our lives. Yeah. I mean, the, the song itself captures the whole moment of what we were struggling with without saying anything you know it, it could be bob dylan or whatever and you're there and it's like oh my gosh this is the vietnam war and we're in a completely different world <clears throat> it's true a person then has a certain measure of uh 
connectedness to something that was meaningful and, and indeed helpful back in those yeah. times. We anchor on those things, you know, and at a very deep level, they're deep within our memory of, as, you know, the studies about people with Alzheimer's hearing music that allows them to revisit that time in their life. And they often sing and become more communicative in that space with memories that wouldn't be triggered in any other way. Mm -hmm. So that's, it's deep inside us. Well, you know, that's very interesting. I'm, I think what we'll do is take a break now because the other question I want to ask you, and I'm looking forward to it, is because we did talk offline before we got started a little bit about some examples. And I think that would be something everyone would want to hear because it, everything you're talking about resonates with everybody that's listening. I mean, there's, there's not a person out there that can't think of an important time in their life and a song that was uh, transformational for them at that time that encapsulated so much of what was going on developmentally for them. So it's intuitively correct that these kinds of practices are helpful. The next question, and the question I'm going to ask you after we take a brief moment and listen to the sponsors here, is give us an example, if you will, of how you would see some of that actually applied in reality, in actionable terms, if you have some examples. Would that be okay? Happy. Glad to. Sure. All right, gang. So we'll be back in just a moment. Well, folks, you know as well as I do that psychiatric treatment failure, especially after multiple medication trials and those very, very brief hospitalizations may prove insufficient to deal at home with the complexity of troubled children and, and those adolescents from 6 to 17 years old. Improved care, those next mandatory steps, should include a more comprehensive approach to address those multiple levels of challenges, from family to peers to school, diagnostically from defiance to depression on every level for families, including military families internationally. The Barry Robinson Center's 32-acre open college-like campus in Norfolk, Virginia, provides safety and security and clean, comfortable living. How do we know we refer folks over there all the time, strongly endorse what they're doing? So for further information and informed interview, connect at this page, barryrobinson.org forward slash core. Well, you folks already know that here at Core Brain Journal, we're on a mission to introduce you to resources that make significant contributions to the investigation of those predictable mind science applications. Our colleagues at DHA Lab Group provide a real difference with treatment options for people at every level, from first awareness of mind problems to those frustrating times when even well-informed treatment becomes surprisingly unpredictable. For my entire professional life, from psychoanalysis to brain scans, I've searched for, yes, improved predictability. The good news for all of us, from professionals to patients, remarkably effective research offers useful, cost-effective, organic options far beyond guesswork with psychiatric medications alone. DHA lab tests measure unbalanced biomedical details through easily available testing, now available globally for a variety of molecular answers from, for example, methylation, copper, and cryptopyrrole challenges. Check in for more details at dhalab.com core. That's d-h-a-l-a-b.com forward slash core. Well, welcome back, Bill. I mean, this is such an interesting conversation when you think about it. I mean, and I'm really looking forward to this next segment because uh, you're leading us down a path that, uh, 
has so many things, is, is relevant to so many aspects of what we do here at Core Brain Journal. Self-management, uh, transformation, uh, healing, uh, and, and, and some of the things that are, they're out of the box, but hey, if they're work, they're not out the box anymore. They're in the box. They should be in the box. And we should be thinking of them more, we should be thinking of the complexity of the human mind and the human experience more comprehensively instead of throwing darts at, at moving targets that we really don't know what we're doing. So. so go ahead. Tell us a little more about some examples, if you would, please, Bill. Oh, absolutely. I noticed uh, not too long ago there's a big similarity between two pieces of music that everybody knows in terms of what they're used for, what they're used for. Well, we get to what they're used for by how they make us respond, right? Mm-hmm. So um, if you can put it in your mind, if not, I'll play it for you. Remember the last time you were at a baseball game and you heard charge played? Yeah. What do you do when you hear charge? You jump up, right? Stand so up. Yeah. Everybody stands up and hears charge. Now, the same notes that are in that melody are also used or were used back in the day uh, to signal lights out in the military. More recently, they're used in military funerals. Everybody knows taps, right? Mm-hmm. So same notes, slow down a little bit, but what do you feel now? It's a completely different effect. Um, I've been to way too many military funerals, uh, and taps is one of the most beautiful pieces of music that could enter that setting and help us feel all the things that we need to feel. It facilitates that. But with that beautiful feeling that's resonating inside you, watch how easily it changes. And you're right back at the baseball game. Wow. Even before you think, oh, that, oh, that was charge. I should stand up. You're, you're, um, the, the, the base of your brain, where we were taught millions of years ago, probably, what to do when we sense danger or surprise, has already responded to charge and gotten you ready for whatever comes next, to jump up and cheer in this case. And that feeling's so much different then, right? Mm. All of a sudden, something else that you didn't think about took over and led you to a new place. So that kind of contrast exists all over in music. So teaching people about how to use music means that you're teaching them, in what I do, how to become aware of that contrast and dial into it more consciously than just letting it wash over you. And, you know, there's lots of music in our environment, but the moment you pay attention, oh, it comes home. It comes home. Well, Bill, I have to apologize for all this noise coming through. It's coming through my machine, and I've turned off everything, and I'm trying to look at what's going on because you can hear it, I'm sure, out there. I'm getting somebody shooting some, um, uh, you know, some photos to me. And I've got the whole thing closed down, but it's still coming through. So I apologize to you and to our audience. I have no idea how to turn this doggone thing off. So yeah, no worries. I work in a musical environment, so there's always something competing with <laughs> yeah. you know, me. <laughs> well, that's, that's what's going on here. So I'm just, I, I do apologize. So let's, uh, you know, so what you just said was the notes are the same, but they're di- they're delivered in a different uh, in a different. Um, a different speed, really. I mean, that's speed and a different tonality, and and uh, it's the same tone, really. Yeah, same tone, but a different speed. It's yeah. so simple uh, to to start thinking about that. There's other remarkable things in the world too, like the melody for Amazing Grace seems to be something everybody knows, and it's a melody that's 
appeared in cultures around the world around the same time. Nobody knows how that melody got to be so widely distributed throughout the world's populations. And it has meaning, different meaning for everybody in the world. How does that happen? You know, there, there's something else going on here that we have yet to explain through science or sociology that's very, very empowering for all of us, especially when we want to connect over things like natural disasters or world economic threats or world military threats. We have a commonality in music, as everybody is aware, that we could leverage if we wanted to. Bring us you know, we were talking a little bit about this earlier. It does have a, uh, a spiritual quality because it does get away from the various delineations of who we are uh, racially, racially, culturally, uh, and really connects us as human beings and on, on a larger scale. It takes us into a more universal element of experience that anybody could appreciate from any walk of life. It's just like, listen to this, tell me how you feel. I don't know Swahili, but they would, they, they would come back close to what I'm thinking, I'm sure. No, there's marvelous music in other cultures. Um, we just discovered, or rediscovered actually, you know the gold record that's on Voyager 1 and Voyager 2? It's an LP hmm. with recordings of a lot of stuff that happens here on Earth, right? We sent those out into the galaxy. And uh, if you can find that LP on Spotify or on iTunes or online, uh, take a listen to all of the amazing cultures that are represented musically on that LP. It's phenomenal. And it's also, um, for us Westerners, you know, it's quite an eye-opener to hear uh, a 2,500-year-old Chinese melody played that we can relate to. It's like, wow, that's a really good melody, right? I could use that <laughs> if I knew the words. Uh-huh. It's a beautiful thing to know how closely we're all, you know, connected by music that way. Well, it sounds very interesting. You know, uh, listeners, uh, Bill has written a book called "The Value of Cultivating the Human Human Spirit in Your Organization." He has a a measure of uh, deeper application that has more of a group consciousness associated with it. So, uh, how does how does what we're talking about here about music is that part of what you're writing about in the book? Is is music part of that, or is it? Or is it a, a, uh, how, does that, how does it connect? Well, we use the word spirituality, so I'm going to go with that. Here we okay. are, a scientific podcast talking spirituality. But that connecting to your human spirit can really fire up a lot of things. And music, I think, is one way in on that. Um, there are other ways in, of course. Meditation, we know about things like that. Religion is a decent way into your human spirit. Um, if, if you're in the sciences, practicing science, I've heard some of the most amazing talks by atheists who have a connection to their human spirit that is remarkable to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I don't know where that comes from, but I know we share it, right? So it's this shared commonality that we have. So the book is about how you can practice that. What practically can you do to find your human spirit and engage that in whatever it is that you happen to, to, be, to be doing, whether it's useful work or raising a family or running a large organization. So uh, I feel like just like at the piano, you can practice scales and become facilitate, become facilitate using them. Um, in the world of spirituality, there are spiritual practices that if you do, you can become better at them. Things like becoming uh, proficient with humor, Humor is a great spiritual practice. You can make people smile regardless of what language you speak, right? Um, we know about appreciation and servant leadership. Um, the qualities of humility and putting the other person first are, are things you can practice. But there's, I mean, really simple things like being able to practice joy. 
Joy is not an easy one because there's, you know, fear, anger, and grief are always pushing down on us. And we've got, some of us need to learn how to practice joy more. And I was one of those, right? What can I do that lets me be joyous in a, in a useful way? So um, illustrating these practices makes it possible for business leaders to, uh, to raise their organization to a more competitive level that people want to work with. That's the remarkable thing. you got mm-hmm. somebody who's happy or joyous. You want to be around that energy. You want to be a part of that. So teaching people practices that are attractive also helps their businesses become attractive to other businesses. And there's data and studies and all this too, which is remarkable to me that somebody's taken the time to go out and figure out, gosh, why do I want to work with Chuck? Well, he seems to be happy, engaged, motivated, humble. Uh, there, you know, you start making the list pretty soon. You can outline the practical application of spirituality that's going on right here. And that's an attractive thing. That's an attractive thing. Well, and, and I think another thing you're talking about there, Bill, is, is a certain level of group consciousness that some people just don't have. I mean, they have to leave themselves to have an appreciation of the consequence of, their, of, of who they are and how they behave in, in public places as opposed to uh, as opposed to not doing that. It sounds like some of that happened when you were concertizing. Somehow, you were playing the piano, and I'm, I don't know. I'm looking forward to hearing what you say about this, and I don't mean to put you on the spot. You've probably answered a number of questions like this, so it's probably not going to be too difficult. But I can imagine playing a piano and hearing the audience actually sigh on a certain point in the music. You could hear kind of a, a sound come back from that when, yep. you're, actually, uh, when you're actually in the piece. Is that, does that happen as a, as a concert pianist? It happens frequently, and if you, if you achieve that, you recognize the fact that you and the audience are one when mm-hmm. that moment happens, because it affects, you, it affects me at the piano the same way as it affects the people listening, if you've done your job well, right? It doesn't always happen, but if you've done mm-hmm. your job well. Mm-hmm. Uh, to flip that, conversely, um, I've also been to concerts and raves and stuff like that, where you can tell people are just having the time of their life, and it's all, the, all of the uh, masks that we wear can be completely gone in that environment. Uh, my family and I went to hear Owl City, which is an amazing um, electronic dance music, so EDM group. And in the audience that night, for in, a, in an auditorium where there were no chairs, were grandparents and parents and kids, all just having the time of their life together over this music. That's what we're looking for, like that shared experience, the connectedness that you mentioned. That's what we're looking for to, that we can achieve with music. Sounds like a lot of fun. It may not happen out here on the East Coast, however. Oh, that's true. <laughs> We're a little bit more uh, lesson out here in the West. I'm imagining. I'm imagining San Diego. I could. I could see the group now. You know, uh, Comic Con. Uh, yeah, we have our share of weirdos. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad. Well, you to know, be one it's of interesting. Then take it to the ne- next step. And this is yeah. because we've been talking about music, and we've been talking about transformation, and we've been talking about a certain level of self identity, and then we've evolved the conversation to be talking about a certain awareness and, and uh, coalescence of a group identity and sort of awareness and a, and a relatedness to the group. So we're, we're talking about several different important developmental opportunities that are out there, one, one with the self and one with others in the process of really uh, reaching a higher level of self-realization and, 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 and a practice that's constructive as opposed to being destructive or um, not constructive. 
I think your point about group awareness, uh, raising the general group awareness is a good one. Uh, we all seem to be evolving at a different speed. And uh, even within my own generation, there are people who are far out there ahead of me and people who are still catching up. And uh, we don't have a one size fits all, mm -hmm. you know, even within music, I could play Beethoven and somebody in the audience goes, oh, I don't like Beethoven. Or I could play, um, you know, put on Owl City and somebody go, oh, that, take that, that hurts my ears. I don't think it's about like or dislike. I think it's about reaching to meet people where they are. And if one piece of music doesn't do that, and I'm paying attention, I'd better change it up and play something else, or I'm, I'm going to lose that person. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, you know, I'm thinking, now tell us about your concertizing. When, what kind of piece were you playing? Were you playing uh, uh, traditional concert music, or were you playing rock and roll, or what was your, what was your piano forte there? Great question. Um, the spiritual practice of surprise is one that I employ in a concert, because you can bring people in and some will be all about classical music and some will all be about the Beatles. So if you don't have one of each in your playlist for that night, you're in trouble. Mm -hmm. And that ability to meet people where they are um, is something that you can kind of manage well from the stage. When you, when you set up a performance of whatever genre of music it might be, it needs to have a satisfying arc. You need to take people up and let them relax and then take them up again and maybe bring them down and then bring them back to a happy place at the end. Something like that. And if you're not doing that well, uh, you haven't really thought through your program. So while I might stretch out and try to get somebody to hear some Rachmaninoff, if I can come back and balance that with some ragtime, I'm going to keep that person on board. Mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. I think the heaviest piece of music that I do has got to be something that is that people know. Otherwise, you know, they're going to leave the building. So mm -hmm. if I play the Moonlight Sonata, uh, people can grab onto that. That's something we know pretty much. But I'd better have something light at the end, you know, to, to bring them back to a level place after hitting it with that big old angsty thing. Yeah, so yeah. It's about, a performance is about all kinds and all genres, a little bit of everything so that people stay engaged at least partially with what's happening and don't get too bored listening to too much classical music. I know as a classical pianist, I can say that, right? But you know how it is when you're giving a lecture and you just see people start to glaze over. It's like that at the, on the stage too. And you yeah. make sure yeah. you don't glaze too far. Yeah, you've you know? got to come up with something. Yeah. But, you know, falling asleep to music is a good therapeutic thing to do. <laughs> yeah, right. So except, if, except if you're the performer. <laughs> oh, no, you know what? No, I don't have to worry about me. I'm happy if people are falling asleep. I just want them to stay in the seats. Right? <laughs> they walk out, I've got a problem. But as long as I've got them there, um, the music's working on them. And, and that's the most important thing. Well, let's take this now to a closing, actionable, one other picture or several pictures for us. Yeah, sure. Because I'm going back to the thing we started talking about in the beginning, which is the vets. And individuals who had, if it's not a veteran per se who's been at war, the numerous, numerous individuals who've been through very significant traumatic events in their lives and are developmentally arrested in that moment in the past. And I was wondering to bring it back to the original topic because we've gone from individuals back to groups, we've looked at performance. Now, what's the technique? What do you actually do with individuals when you have them in a group, when you are looking to evolve their appreciation of themselves through music in the way that we were talking about at the beginning of the conversation? 
So in between like the music's entertainment and the clinicians who use music, music therapists and others who are actually using music as a therapeutic tool, um, there, there's me. There's me sitting there talking about what it means to be aware of music and how that can work on you. And what you might anticipate as a result of that could point you in the direction of therapy or could point you in the direction of learning to play an instrument you've always wanted to do, but it could make some change for you. So I function as sort of a reminder and an awareness of how wonderful all of this great cultural stuff is that we call music that sort of comes out of us, but also transforms us in a way that could lead to further development and growth. It's interesting to me that um, the clinical approaches to so many things, including trauma, uh, focus in on the problem. And I don't have, a, I don't have a, an issue with that because I've had some incredible trauma therapy. But becoming aware of the light at the end of the tunnel, let's say, mm-hmm. is something that music can do for us that, well, I'm, I'm not new to therapy anymore, but the, the therapy didn't do for me back in the day, shall we say, when it, when it was a new thing for me. We've all lived around music, and unless you're, you have no way of listening to it at all, uh, and thank heavens there are folks that have like the bone conducting headphones and other ways that we can absorb sound. Um, We've all been exposed to music. If we were exposed to the instruction that allows us to get into that as a tool, rather than just experience it as entertainment, um, we'd be on our way towards something else. So it's not my real job to stop you and say, no, work with me. It's my job is to say, and here we are now, and here's this musical experience, and that might lead you in some very interesting directions. And if you want to talk about those things, we can, we can go clinical direction with that. We can go a performance direction, composition. Um, I know a guy who loves music, can't play any, but writes lyrics that have been turned into songs. Mm-hmm. There, there's many ways through that. Mm-hmm. That middle place, Chuck, that's, for me, that's amazing. Because I get to so see... So then what you're saying, to freely translate it, please correct me if I'm wrong. No, go ahead. But it sounds like what you're doing is you're entering a, uh, an experience with other human beings in which in, your, in this particular thing you just described, you're opening a door. You know, the door is closed and you're maybe opening several doors. You don't know what those doors are. But you're facilitating an um, internal experience that helps them come to grips with a situation that's, that's really internal, and it opens the door for them to, uh, number one, realize it and uh, perhaps embrace it and grow from the experience as opposed to hiding it off in a corner and, and dancing around it, something like that. Is that true? Yes, that's true. I grew up very locked up emotionally, but at the piano, I could feel anything I wanted to. And I've had over and over in my life, I've had the experience where someone comes up after a concert and there's just like tears in their eyes and they don't know what to say. And they sort of reach out and shake your hand and and they try to say thank you. Something Mm -hmm. has gotten unlocked inside that wasn't, that was locked up before. Mm -hmm. I've had that experience too. And I've been the one going up to a performer and shaking their hand and saying thank you and not having words. Mm -hmm. That's the moment you're looking for. And if we can create that moment, around music, around any modality, if we can create that moment, um, that's, that's the magic right there. And then what happens after that? Well, we have all kinds of professionals who can catch you at that moment. <laughs> yeah, I said once you actually can connect with something that you're not previously connected with in a constructive way, 
as opposed to being connected with it, with all the negatives and misperceptions and, and no opportunities out of it where you're locked down, as you said a moment ago, then you're really providing an opportunity for, for internal growth and freedom and healing and whatever the synonym for that process is. You're, you're giving that person an opportunity for the rest of their lives. Yes, yes. And we've all had that experience in one way or another. I've had that same experience in therapy. Uh, I've had it sitting on the top of a mountain. That mm -hmm. feeling of just being overcome with something that's much more important than the moment. Uh, mm -hmm. If we could facilitate that, make sure everybody has that experience several times a week, meditate, whatever it takes, you know, that's the beauty. Well, Bill, what we need from you now is we need a link to that gold record that you so uh, firmly recommended that's sailing around in space out there. If you would send me that link so I could put it in the show notes, because I'd love to chase it down myself. You, it, what's, you can just tell me if you want to. It's sure. on Spotify. You can find it on Spotify. Uh, but if you Google for Voyager 1 record, uh, you'll find it. It's out there in several different formats. Okay, good. I'll put that in the show notes and I'll find it. Yeah, I'll find the link, folks, and I'll have it in the show notes. It's fantastic. Well, Bill Prossman, thank you so much for taking the time to come on board here. I mean, this is very interesting because just as you were saying a moment ago, just even in a dialogue like this, individuals who are listening to this are, I'm sure, going to come into some contacts with issues that are important to them, that are developmentally positive for them, because a guy like you is taking the time to come on and say, hey, guys, here's how this works. It's really not that complicated, but you have to be open to it, and you have to go ahead and walk in the door. You can't just stand outside the door and think about it and have intellectual rationalizations about what might happen. Well said, Chuck. And if, if everybody listening, the doctor said it, right? So <laughs> right. take some time and, and uh, engage with your music. You know, find what you love and listen to that. Hey, Bill, the reason we're talking is they're going to listen to you far more than they're going to listen to me, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> That's um, just the way that works. <laughs> thank you, doctor. Thank you so much for coming on. We'll, talk, we'll do this again sometime. We'll have, we'll have your book. Bill has offered his book. He's going to have a drawing for the book up there on Core Brain Journal. Thank you so much, Bill, for participating in the whole thing. Really appreciate it. My pleasure, Chuck. Thank you. Thank you, buddy. You have a good one. Thanks for listening to Core Brain Journal. We're working every day behind the scenes to bring you reports that connect research benches with those street trenches. Here we share the complexity of mind science because, as you know, details really do matter. One of the most pervasive misunderstood challenges is how commonplace medications, like those written for ADHD, are used so regularly without clear guidelines. If you think you'd like more specifics, take a minute to download my two-page PDF packed with video links and references on the absolute essentials of how to start ADHD medications. They're easily available at corebrainjournal.com forward slash start. Thanks for listening. Do connect and stay tuned. Together we can make a difference.